Good afternoon, everyone. I hope everyone's feeling good. I'm feeling tired but energized at the same time, which is kind of weird. Um, a couple of thoughts that went through my mind this morning, um, and something that I was on the phone call with someone today and repeated the same stories that I thought I'd share it here, is this whole concept and idea of spillover. So what I mean is taking lessons that you've learned and experiences that you've learned from maybe one area in your life or one vertical in your life and applying it to another um, in ways that you probably wouldn't have thought of. Um, so it really is about thinking laterally um, and trying to step out of sort of one's comfort zone. So a couple of examples on that. Um, my career, for example, I got the jobs that I got, I think the last four or five jobs, um, because of a blog that I had started back when I was 19, 20. And the idea here was that I was looking for something in particular. I was very much interested in the digital space and I was keen to learn more about, you know, SEO, marketing, digital advertising and branding. And at the time there was nothing really out there. Um, I was Googling this stuff, I was searching for it, but there wasn't a lot. Um, so the best way obviously to, to, to get a handle of this was very much just to build it myself. And what was interesting is every job interview that I did thereafter, the questions that I got from my future employees were not about the seven, eight years of political science and international relations that I studied, they were very much about how I'd harnessed the digital, how I went about creating a blog and an audience, how I sustained that audience. Did I know who my audience was and how did I target them? How was I communicating with them and keeping that audience engaged and active? It was absolutely fascinating. And every time I walked out of there thinking, God, they're never going to hire me because they were only interested in my hobbies. Well, actually, it turns out that the hobbies and the skills that I had learned from my hobbies was exactly what they were looking for. And I was able to talk about it with great passion and I knew exactly what I was talking about because I'd been building this space, I'd been building my brand um, for years. So again, it's one of those ideas that formal education, specifically in tech and in digital, is very slow and often outdated. So the best way to do it is if you are interested in something, go and build it, go and do it yourself, create that own space for you. Um, this wasn't just apply, oh sorry, this doesn't just apply actually in my career. I've also seen this in my conversations on a day-to-day -day basis with customers. So I work with people in the political landscape. I also work with people in the more commercial landscape, brands, companies. I also work with nonprofits. And one of the questions that I question a lot or that I, or that I pause that ask a lot is, you know, there are a fair amount of things. So you might be a CMO of a global or a Fortune 500 company. I actually believe there's a shit ton that you can learn from politicians and politics. Yes, even from politics, one of the most archaic and outdated fields out there. There is a lot that you can learn from this. So I know this pisses off a lot of people, but, and I think, but it's true. And I think vice versa as well. Politicians have a lot to learn from companies that are able to brand themselves. Um, so, you know, I often tell people in the commercial space, you know, if you treat your customers like you would treat your constituents, um, you might be selling a little bit more. Um, so that happens in sort of my day-to-day -day life. And, and finally, one that's been fascinating because I work with such a plethora of, of customers, if you know the brand Avon, um, they very much created that sort of community-based, like the Tupperware ladies, these women that would come to your houses and they would share the products that they're ambassadors for and, and create a small and, and very tight community of women there. So Avon has been going strong for, for many years and I think they have something like, I don't know, six, seven million Avon ladies selling their products door to door and building their local communities. So 
Obama basically took this model uh, and created his own snowflake model. So the snowflake model, for those who are not familiar with it, um, is very much a way of organizing teams of supporters or activists. And it was actually popularized by Marshall Gantz in, in the field programs that they built during the Barack Obama campaigns in 2008 and 2012. And the Snowflake model is very much about empowering these local activists to, to take ownership of small organizing teams and create leaders out of these teams to spearhead the core uh, organizing work of campaigns. So it really allows you to grow a campaign at scale. What's fascinating now is we have brands coming to us and asking us how they can recreate that Snowflake model at scale um, and taking it from politics when actually the Obama Snowflake model was very much based on what Avon was doing at the time. And I thought one other example, which was very interesting, that I picked up on just yesterday. So I decided to start doing improv and acting classes um, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that they had us do in the acting class, which was very interesting, was sitting in a circle and finding the partner to your right or to your left and sharing with them for 45 seconds to a minute something about you, a story. It could be as personal, as light as you want it to be, or as new or as old. And the person sat in front of you, main goal was really just to listen to you, intensely listen to everything that you were saying without asking questions, without judging, um, and we tried trying to sort of, you know, doze off or, but so really that intense focus. And it was very interesting because this is actually something um, that we do at, at Nation Builder as a company. We have what we call story circles where seven or eight people sit in a circle and it's actually not just for 45 seconds, it's actually for eight to nine minutes where you share your life story. And we're not asking people to share resumes, we're really asking people to dig deep and to share something that they're comfortable sharing with the group and in as much detail. And what's fascinating is there's no amount of prep that can prepare you for in that moment how you are feeling faced with this group of individuals and what you're willing to share and where you're willing to go. And it's not actually an exercise about sharing, it's actually an exercise about listening and really intently listening, deep listening to what that person in front of you is saying. Because when you think about it, how often today in our society do we get the opportunity um, to really just share and talk and have a bunch of people um, truly listen? to what we're saying. And so that was just fascinating as well as I, that exercise for me felt um, very normal um, now that I've been at Nation Builder for three years. Um, so it was fascinating that what felt very unusual for many people felt very normal. And again, because this was something that I'd applied in my work life that was now being applied into acting classes. So all of this to say that actually, if you allow yourself to creatively take some of the lessons and the skills you've learned from one part of your life and take them to another part of your life, I think you might find that it becomes all very much richer and that you're able to get really, really creative. Um, so again, if you go back to the blog, um, four or five years later, I was still teaching um, clients how to build their digital brand and their online presence and helping Fortune 500 CEOs go online and go onto Twitter. And I was able to talk with confidence because I'd done this myself, um, which was fascinating. So very much tied to this is actually a book, and this is not going to turn into a book review, but there is a book out there that you should absolutely pick up and read if you haven't done so already, and it's called Smart Cuts um, from Shane Snow, um, and it's somewhat of a, a narrative adventure um, 
with the aim to really shatter the common wisdom about success and how you get there. Um, often people think that success is about patience, and I think there is a lot to be said about being patient. And it's also about climbing and being, you know, being patient about climbing that corporate ladder. So, so here there's a lot of counterintuitive research and, and, and stories about how some of the most successful people made it. And the way that Shane Snow really defines smart cuts um, is very much as shortcuts, but with integrity. So it's not about taking the easy route. It really is about being clever about what you have at your disposal and about starting to think laterally. So don't just climb the corporate ladder, actually jump onto the next one and see what else is out there. So some of the themes is obviously smart. Um, so paying your dues just because that's the way it's been done is actually no longer safe. So again, it's not the safe bet to think that, oh, in two years time I'll get promoted and I'll get there and in five years time I'll be there. Um, so, and that's also very much tied into technology. Um, so technology uh, and the success and what's been able to achieve there has allowed us to get smarter. So, you know, technology is what allowed me to create my blog, my online presence, have a voice out there, which ultimately allowed me to be smart and to jump laterally. Whereas normally I would have probably had to wait four or five years to get the jobs that I was being given. And it's also this concept of being unconventional. Um, the overachievers out there, um, according to Shane Snow, actually shortened their path to success by skipping what they, what he viewed, sorry, as avoidable steps. And so obviously one of the biggest then themes um, to Smart Cuts as a book is very much this idea to think, um, to think laterally. So that ties in very much to what I was talking about at the beginning about this spillover, spillover of skills and of lessons. Um, and I'd love to just share with you one of the examples in the books, which really just illustrates um, incredibly well what he means by this lateral thinking. So imagine you're driving in a storm and between the fur of the windshield wipers and all of the rain that's coming down and the fog. And so you make out a couple of figures um, in the distance and it's three people waving you down. So you cautiously slow down and you realize that one of them is a frail old woman um, who looks on the verge of collapsing. There's another one who's a really good friend of yours who once saved your life, so you owe a lot to them. And the third person is someone um, who's of a romantic interest and the romantic interest of your dreams. And this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to hit, to meet him or her. So you only have, however, one seat left in your car and you have to choose. And it's really a tough one between the old frail lady and that's the right choice to do, um, between the friend who saves your life and the romantic interest of your dreams. Um, and so ultimately there's a good reason to choose any of them. So who do you pick? So you pick the old woman, of course. But then you give the car keys to your friend and you stay behind with the romantic interest to wait for the bus. And that's the lateral thinking uh, that Shane Snow um, talks about. And it doesn't, but he also caveats that with that lateral thinking doesn't and should not replace hard work. Um, hard work is always going to be at the core of anyone's success. However, it does eliminate that unnecessary cycle or those unnecessary steps. Um, so again, to bring it back to my career and my life, I spent my holidays, my nights, my weekends working on my blog, creating a community. And I spent four or five years doing this, um, you know, thanking people who were the first people who ever commented or followed me, talking to hundreds of brands to try and convince them to be, to, to be in a partnership with them. And I did all of this instead of going out. So hard work was there, but there was a lot of lateral thinking as well. And one of the last themes that come up, which I'm not going to dig into today, but I'd love to have a wider conversation about 
this is mentorship. Um, and that really is another big theme that comes up in, in the book. And, and mentorship, um, he says, is the success of many of the highest profile achievers um, throughout history. Um, and he makes the differentiation, which I think is a fascinating one, between the informal mentoring that's produced uh, or that produces in his world a larger, more significant effect on career outcomes than the formal mentoring. Um, so I'm curious if some of you out there have had like really formal mentorship programs thrown your way or if you're part of a formal mentorship program or actually if you've found the most success in, in these informal mentorings. In my, in my space and in my experience, I've never been part of a formal mentoring program, but I've made it a core part of my career to go out and find mentors um, that would be willing to spend some time with me. Um, so there's, he says there's a very big difference between having a mentor guide our practice and ultimately having a mentor guide our journey. So really focusing on the journey rather than what you're trying to achieve. That's it folks for today. Um, I've got a couple more calls to go, LA to do, sorry. LA's just woken up. And so this is where the end of my my day in Europe ends and the start of my day with the LA team starts. So I wish you all the best for today.